tuned in to a new Buff Stampede radio. Adam Munster-Tiger, the publisher of BuffStampede.com, here with fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin. Tyler, uh, how is your, your podcast stamina holding up? Do you have enough uh, in the <laughs> tank to get through, through another one? I have to. It's the only thing I'm doing these days. <laughs> yeah, I think, I, uh, I think I'm doing six this week. Wow. Okay. So, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's definitely stacking up. Now, football and basketball going at the same time makes it a little crazier than normal obviously that's a short-lived situation so once there's once there's not games from both sports every week it'll go back to more or less normal i guess well things are kind of in flux tyler as we record this on wednesday midday washington having to pause their football operations uh you know they were going to clinch the North and be in the championship game had they beaten Oregon this week. Uh, you got some interesting scenarios at play in, in Colorado's game. John Wil- Wilner is reporting might even get moved to, to Saturday now. Yeah, and I guess this sort of clinches Washington as the best record in the North. The fact that they're not playing as well, um, which will lead to some interesting discussions, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, it's, you know, everything, you know, basically what this season was always going to be, right? You knew, you knew it was going to be a circus from the get-go, and here we are. So um, I think what helps Colorado the most right now is the Big Ten's decision to erase the rule, the requirement of six games in order to get to their conference championship game. If they're willing to make the rules rule changes last minute in order to get Ohio State in, I think that's definitely going to put some pressure on the Pac-12 to do the same. Yeah, and you know who knows if Washington would even be able to play a game a week and a half from now. So uh, you know a lot kind of in flux, like I had mentioned. But uh, the Buffs are number twenty-one in the new college football playoff rankings. At the end of the day, I don't know how much that really matters, but it's still cool to see Colorado in the college football playoff ranking. Uh, you know, being able to put that on the front page of BuffStampede.com. It's been a little while. It's been since twenty sixteen since they've been included in that, and and obviously ranked in the polls as well for the first time since October of 2018. CU just one of nine teams undefeated in the country. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would honestly argue that it is a big deal. Um, in a year where a lot of things might not happen. I mean, I would argue that it's a bigger deal to be in the college football playoff rankings than to play in a bowl game. Uh, that's honestly how I feel because, you know, who knows how many bowl games are going to be played, which one are we going to get? There's going to be a lot of politics behind all this, right? You know, I think being able to say, look, we were one of the 25 best teams in the country during all of this is an easier sell to recruits moving forward than just saying, oh, we played in some bowl game that a lot of these kids probably don't pay a ton of attention to, right? Yeah, and especially I think this year, if they do play in a bowl game, it'd be great to tune in for those guys to get that experience. But Bowls are for the fans, right? That's mm. when you get to go out there. And, and the Alamo Bowl was such an awesome experience with the Riverwalk and everything. You're not going to have that no matter what this year. So uh, it just doesn't have the same importance that it, it normally would. I would agree. I mean, I don't know what the – you would think that the rules for practices are going to change, right? You know, that's what used to be one of the additional benefits is, oh, you get ex- those extra bowl practices – uh, I would assume that if you qualified for a bowl, but there aren't enough to put everyone into, they're going to allow some of these other teams to practice anyway. That would be my understanding. I don't know if that's how they'll do it or not, um, but you would think that would be the case. So 
I think either way, Colorado's going to get some of those much-needed reps they need going into next year. Yeah, and that's a great point, especially given that that's something that they haven't been able to enjoy except for one year in the last 13 and, and not having those spring practices. So that, that, that would be a, a benefit that, honestly, I hadn't thought about. That's a good point. Let's go back to the Arizona game. Tyler, I uh, would just want to get your overall impressions. Obviously, CU was down 13-0 early in the second quarter, but they scored 24 unanswered uh, to win in the desert. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the two things that stand out for me are really one thing. Um, the leadership shown, uh, getting down 13-0 in a game like that to a team that we have historically struggled with, most previous versions of this team would have crumbled there. Uh, you, you could see that game getting out of hand pretty quickly. So from a leadership perspective, that was a really awesome thing to see. I mean, they went 24-0, basically, I guess it was the start of the second quarter, more or less, moving forward. Um, you know, it was an ugly game. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. But, you know, sometimes you have to find a way to get it done when you're not playing your best. Secondly, the Chance Lytle situation, seeing literally almost every member of the team out there supporting him. That doesn't happen that often in football. I mean, we, we were watching it live and commenting with my buddies about how big of a moment that was. And obviously it's terrible for Chance. I uh, hope, you know, we wish him all the best and hopefully he gets healthier soon. But uh, that, again, shows a leadership and a camaraderie within this program that we have not seen in a while. And that's, that's how programs become winners. Derek Broussard named the PAC 12 offensive player of the week for the second time this season. Strangely in a game where he becomes a first player in program history to have three runs of 50 plus yards, he doesn't score any touchdowns, uh, yeah. but just a, just another great performance by him. Uh, and there's only one player in the whole FBS ranks that's averaging more rushing yards per game than Broussard at this point. I mean, unbelievable season. I think we're probably selling short the offensive line as well when we talk about this a lot, right? I mean, Jarek has been awesome, but you don't have three 50-plus yard runs doing it yourself. You know, you look back on a lot of those. There's some pretty big gaps he's running into. I mean, I think it sells the offensive line even further that, you know, watching Jarek play, he got caught on all three of those. It's not like he's, a, you know, the fastest guy on the planet and he's just impossible for defenses to contain, right? There has to be other factors at play that are getting him this many yards and you know Jarek is shifty there's no doubt like he's tough to bring down um tough to tackle one-on-one -on -one. but in terms of straight game speed there are faster guys out there so you know for, for him to be able to do what he's doing given that limitation says a lot about the, the other skills that he has on the football field but also says a lot about the offensive line to me yeah we hear Carl Drill come out this week and say Broussard's only probably 90, 95%. He's wearing that knee brace. Darian Hagan says that he breaks those runs in practice. It's that maybe he gets, a, a, you know, heavy legs on, on, in some of those game day situations that, that he can even get better, which is kind of a scary thought that Broussard is, is, is just, you know, scratching his potential and can actually get better. Yeah. I mean, you can definitely see that the brace is holding him back a little, um, you know, that, it, but it's also, you know, he's probably going to have to wear that. So, it is what it is. I'm not going to sit here and complain about a guy who ran for 300 yards in one game just <laughs> just because he doesn't have breakaway speed. Uh, they found a way to get in the end zone um, anyways. I saw a lot of complaints about how they weren't just giving it right back to Jarek for the touchdowns. He's probably gassed. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, it's not it's not easy running 50 yards with dudes trying to tackle you, so they're going to get someone else in there in those situations. And he does have good awareness, too. You'd rather him, okay, go down at the three-yard line and – Versus risk fumbling the ball, which he's had really good, you know, ball security as well. Another part that's been impressive. 
Uh, Nate Lemon continues to play at an All-American level. He was named the Bednarik Award Player of the Week. He's the first back-to-back National Player of the Week winner for CU since Cordell Stewart to open the 1992 season against CSU and Baylor. And uh, Carson Wells, I mean, he he deserves some serious all-conference buzz at this point. You look at what those guys did in the last two games, Tyler, against San Diego State and Arizona. Landman and Wells combined for 15 and a half tackles for a loss. That's just a ridiculous number for two guys in two games. That's ridiculous for an entire team, <laughs> let alone yeah. two guys. Uh, yeah, I mean, those two have just been absolute game wreckers. Uh, Carson, yeah, I'm really happy for Carson because last year was not a ton of fun for him, I'm sure. I mean, there, we eventually found out that he was injured, which made a lot of sense based on the way yeah. he was playing. Um, he has been phenomenal. I mean, he's probably going to start getting some NFL draft buzz because it's not, you know, it's not, he's not, Landman has limitations at the next level, right? I mean, he's probably not a three down linebacker because he's not great in coverage mm-hmm. and Carson isn't really either, but he plays a position where he's not going to be asked to do that. His speed, his speed for his size is NFL ready. Like there aren't a lot of people that run the way that Carson does at his size. So it'll be interesting to see if he starts getting some buzz there because he's a guy that I think we all kind of assumed was coming back for um, most of this year. Uh, You know, I'm starting to get a little, not nervous. I mean, I'd be obviously really happy for him, but it wouldn't surprise me if there started being some discussions about whether or not he needs to move on to the NFL. We got a question about that. We'll talk a little bit about more of some of the uh, pro potential buffs in the mailbag. Uh, Quick side announcement, signed uh, an extension with 24-7 Sports on Tuesday. Uh, Yeah, pretty exciting. I I guess I worded my post poorly because I said I re-signed, but a lot of people read that as resigned. (laughs) Did you adjust the title? Because I think Uh, by the time I saw it, it didn't say that. Okay. No, it still does. I'm not going to change it. (laughs) I guess I just didn't notice. (laughs) But no, it's uh, obviously exciting (laughs) news and uh, couldn't be possible without uh, all the subscribers out there. Uh, you're the reason that, you know, 24-7 Sports and CBS wants to make that commitment to this site. So definitely appreciate all of you. If you're just a podcast listener and not a subscriber, I mean, give it some thought. We often run promos for first-time subscribers. Uh, at the very least, rate review in this podcast, and it can help us uh, get this out to more people. You had a podcast announcement of your own, Tyler. Uh, tell us about that. Yeah, um, I mean, it's uh, pretty simple. It's Me and Will have already been doing a college basketball podcast together. And we both have been kind of just having back and forth discussions lately about how we don't really get enough time to talk about CU basketball the way that we would both like. That's kind of both of our passions, right? Even with free ball and uh, basketball definitely takes a backseat to football discussions more times than not. And so we were brainstorming and eventually it just became super clear that we should just bring Will over to free ball and uh, make him a part of the squad and start our own CU basketball podcast with everybody else being able to filter in with us. And uh, so it's, you know, it's going to be more or less the same thing. It's just under a different umbrella. The college basketball national podcast will stay the same. Um, We're just going to have me and Will talking a little bit more CU specific basketball, which is, which was the goal all along. So it's a lot of fun. Not nearly as exciting as your news. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's still really cool. Uh, And Tyler, the early signing period is a week from today, which is crazy because aside from 2016, there was always this natural progression of the season ending. And then you have a couple of weeks to gear up for that early signing period. This year, it's just kind of sneaking up on us. 
it's kind of funny because I feel like this, that's kind of like the blood of this site, right? Is yeah. typically signing day. Like that's everything surrounds signing day at Colorado and this site. And it has for a long time. And I haven't thought about it once <laughs> until, until it like came up by accident last week. Right. It, it's just like, there's so many other things going out there floating around in the world. There's so much other drama associated yeah. with college football right now that it just, as you said, has flown completely under the radar for me. Well, it's going to make for a really busy week for me, but we're still going to try to blow out our sunny day coverage like we usually do. Maybe we'll do like a Facebook live thing. And, and Tyler, you and I are going to do some videos on some of these guys. So got to find the time uh, while, while this football team is still playing. But uh, they've got 18 verbal commits on board for 2021. We'll see Arden Walker. He's going to be announcing, uh, I think, the first day of the early signing period. He helped Cherry Creek to its second straight 5A championship. Buffs are eighth in the Pac-12 in the 24-7 sports team rankings right now, 55th nationally. Uh, because they're not expected to add more than maybe a piece or two, uh, there probably are going to be some teams that jump them. I would imagine Stanford. They, it looks like they're only one more commit from jumping the buffs in the Pac-12. But I've said all along, uh, you know, given the situation with Carl Drell taking over, being behind the eight ball with 2021 recruiting because the process has become so accelerated, not being able to get any recruits on campus, I mean – well, we'll see how this there, there's some guys to like in this class. It's not going to have the, maybe the same cachet as their, their class did last year, though. Yeah, I mean, I think that was kind of the expectation all along, right, that it was going to be more of a more of a filler class. We don't have as many spots. I think in the star rating averages were 10th in the Pac-12, which is something that I typically like to look at okay. a little bit more closely because, it, you know, it, a lot of the rankings depends on how many guys do you take. Right. Which which I think is a little bit overblown at times. You want to know the quality, the average quality of each kid in your class. So it's I'm not going to say it's disappointing because I don't really think it is. It's kind of expected based on what's happened this year. There's it's just hard to sell a lot of these kids the way that Colorado can. Right. I mean, you have to get these guys out here to see our facilities, to see the town. That's what sells Colorado. Now, obviously, winning does too, but yeah. unfor unfortunately, the way that the season is scheduled this year, most of the most of the class is already committed. Mm -hmm. You're not going to see a bunch of changes associated with this class because of our success this year. Now, hopefully, it transitions over into next year. We'll just have to see. Yeah, next year is going to be really strange because of the scholarship situation. You know. You you basically you're gonna have this backlog nationally because mm -hmm. uh, the, yes, next year this any seniors on on the roster won't count towards that 85 cap, but still looking ahead to 2022, uh, we haven't heard anything that's gonna change with that 85 cap, so it's gonna be really hard. I think we've discussed that on the podcast before. Just mm -hmm. that the fringe guys in the 2022 class are gonna probably be going to the Mount West level, whereas in a normal year they they might have been Pac-12 recruits. Yeah, you could definitely see the talent gap shrink between the lower levels and the power five conferences based on that season alone. I mean, it'll be a short lived trend or phenomenon, however you want to describe it. Right. But it could make a one year impact, I think. Yeah. Let's jump into the buff stampede mailbag. Our first question comes from dangerous. He asked, how would you have divvied up the carries to the backup running backs against Arizona? Obviously Jay brew is going to get his 20, 30 touches a game and has been otherworldly. I would have thought Hagen would have rode Clayton as a second back with the hot hand. Joe Davis doesn't seem to have it. 
a couple questions in there. So let's start with the first question there. How would you have divvied up the carries? Well, Tyler, they rushed for 407 yards in that game, averaging 8.8 yards an average. So I'm not going to nitpick anything there. That they, they should have done exactly what they did because it was pretty productive. Yeah, I would say that it worked out pretty well. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I did like that Jarrett got a rest. I mean, you could see he was definitely more fresh in the fourth quarter, which you want to see, right? I mean, you know, was I happy to see all four backs get carries? Yeah, I think that's good for the – A, for the morale of the room, B, just to give guys a breather, um, to give someone else an opportunity to show themselves. You know, Darrell has talked all season about how he wants to get younger guys playing time and experience and all that. So the running back room is no different there. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously Clayton had a better game than the other two guys, but – it, it was all, you know, that's limited. Clayton walked into the end zone both times. Let's be real. It wasn't like he was breaking cuts. <laughs> you know, it part of the blocking is a part of the analysis of the whole situation as well. You know, Joe Davis certainly is not the most explosive back I've ever seen in my life. But I would say outside of Broussard, none of the three have really stepped up and made it clear that they're the number two guy. Yeah. Dangerous is selling his stock on Joe Davis already, but he's only had 14 carries over four games. I think that's a position where if you don't get into a rhythm, it's tough out yeah. there. And he, he's a good back. And, and I, I don't know if he's ever going to be a lead back type of guy. I don't know if he's that talented, but I mean, he's, he's obviously he had a good camp and there was not there's just not a lot separating those backups right now. Right. I would have said prior to this game in particular, Joe had been the second most productive. So each game is going to be different, right? I mean, none of the three have been world beaters by any stretch, but I would have said up until this game that Joe looked the best to me. And if Joe Davis has a 30-yard run against Utah this week, the perception changes right away, right? Right. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, if, Joe, if Joe Davis gets a 30-yard run, I would be surprised. <laughs> Ellie Buff asked, what happened to our passing game? Which is the real Sam Noir as a passer, the first two or the last two? And along those lines, Triangle Buff 2011 asked, what is your confidence in Sam and the receiving core carrying the load on Friday night? If I am Utah, I pack the box and force Sam to beat them on offense. Do you want to lead off here, Tyler? What- sure, yeah. I'll start off with the last part and say, if I'm Utah, yes, that is exactly what I would do if I was Utah. And also that is what I would expect to see. Um, It has now become clear that we're fairly one dimensional uh, until we prove otherwise. And Utah is physical up front anyways. So it's going to be more difficult to run on Utah than most of the other teams we've seen this year to begin with. Um, You know, this is why there was concern about Sam Neuer leading up to the year. Like he obviously played extremely well in the first two games, made us all look really stupid. Um, and you've seen as got, as teams get film on Sam, things are starting to get more difficult. Now, I will say they're not putting him in as many positions to be successful, in my opinion, over the last few games. Uh, they need more quick throws, some of those medium range routes that he was a lot of, that had a lot of success with in the first two games, that kind of stuff. I'd like to see more of that. But, yeah, I mean, I think he's probably somewhere in between, right? Yeah. Sam, to me, to me, he didn't really play. If you take away the interceptions, those are the, the things that we talked about. You can't make those plays, right? If Sam plays smart football, kind of that game manager mentality, right, we would have been fine in that game if you, if you take away the two critical mistakes. 
I'm not really that worried about Sam's performance overall, but you can't do that. And that's how you're going to be graded. If he can go into Utah and not throw the ball directly to the other team, I think he'll end up being fine. But he's definitely not the quarterback from the first two games of the season. I think you've seen that for sure. Um, I'm not really, I'm not ready to say he is the quarterback from the last two games either. Just like with most things, it's probably somewhere in the middle. Yeah. I mean, even after those first two games, we were kind of talking about, Hey, this is going to regress to the means a little bit. The defense is going to get better. Sam Neuer is not going to look like an all American for the whole season. And that's kind of the way it's, it's panned out, but it, it does worry me about this matchup Tyler, because mm-hmm. Utah is already stout against the run. They're the only team right. in the PAC 12 that's given up less rushing yards per game than CU this year. So they don't even have to, you know, they, they wouldn't need to stack the box. Even if CU is doing really well in the running game, you wouldn't think so. Uh, it's not maybe the best matchup, in terms of for sure yeah yeah this game definitely scares me the most of anyone we've seen this year for sure and they had COVID issues so they they were struggling to get the rhythm as a team and they finally now played three games in four weeks so I would expect Utah to look much better probably you know you've got to expect that they're going to play their best game of the year this weekend why Buff asked can we get your guess of what the dialogue was in the Neuer slash Durrell <laughs> argument in the Arizona game. Bonus points for having some fun and creative license with this. So Tyler, actually, I know what happened here. Thanks for ruining the fun. <laughs> well, what, what do you, what do you think it was? Uh, I don't know what I think it was, but I, if I was Durrell, I would have said, maybe don't do that ever again. <laughs> I don't think people know this, but Sam Neuer, he's a huge in and out guy. And obviously uh, they opened up a location in Aurora, but he's been pretty busy. So he hasn't been able to get down there yet. But uh, Darrell promised the team that they'd stop it in and out on the way to the airport. You know, remember McIntyre had done that a couple times when they went on the road in the past. But after Neuer threw that pick, you know, Darrell told him it's off the table. And so, I mean, understandably, Neuer was pretty frustrated there. Get out of here. You don't believe me? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I have no idea, but. I don't know. I think uh, I think seeing some fire from Carl Durrell and, and Sam Neuer is a good thing. I, I mean, yeah, I love it from Durrell because, I mean, there are multiple times throughout the game things are going on and they pan to Durrell on the sidelines and it looks like he's reading a book at, at home in his study. You know what I mean? Like he's he's the most stoic person I've ever seen. Like I, it both drives me crazy and um, I love it at the same time. Like it's just a phenomenal attribute to be able to, <laughs> to just go through life like that and just – work and move, move along. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, obviously the front, I, I had a tweet about this in the heat of the game that basically just said, it's not a good look from Sam. And it's, I don't mind that he's yelling at the coach or that he has fired any of that. But when you make that poorly of a decision on the field, you can't really come yeah. off and start blaming other people. You know, yeah. it wasn't like someone ran the wrong route. He threw that ball directly at a safety that he didn't see. So, I, you know what I mean? Like at some point you just have to be like, yeah, that's my bad. Buffer Bro asked, what's been going on with Mangum this year? Although a good problem, our running back's room seems too stacked. What do you think it looks like at the start of next season? So, again, I, with Mangum, I'd kind of go back to what I said about Joe Davis. If you're not getting a lot of carries, it's hard to get into rhythm. And then there also have been times, Tyler, that he's been out there and uh, – I mean, the defender's in his face when he gets the handoff. So right. uh, it's not like he's had, you know, he did a couple times when he scored touchdowns uh, have have a lane there, but he hasn't been able to break off any long runs, I think, for those two reasons. Yeah, I mean, he has limitations as a back. He's just not very explosive. 
I mean, I, I like him on the goal line. He has the ability to be a guy. If you give him 25 carries in the game, he's going to be a problem to tackle in the fourth quarter. That's what I see from Jaron's game. If he doesn't get a ton of reps, his numbers aren't going to look good. You know, he doesn't break a lot of tackles for a guy his size still on the scrimmage, which is a little bit frustrating. He also doesn't seem to hit the hole at 100% all the time or have the world's greatest vision. So to me, I mean, he's he hasn't been great this year. I mean, you can complain that he's not getting more carries, but when, he's, when the opportunity has been there, he certainly hasn't taken advantage of it. Um, I agree with you. There's definitely been some situations where, you know, it could be Eddie George back there and he's getting tackled four yards behind the line of scrimmage because someone's blowing up the line. But yeah, I mean, it's, I don't know. It First of all, Jarek has played way better than everyone else. So of course he's going to continue to get the touches. You know, we'll see what it looks like next year. Alex Fontenot coming back to me. I'm really excited about that because I'm, I love Fontenot and I think he's a good compliment to what Jarek does. I don't see any way that it's not those two kind of in a dual bell cow role next year. Yeah. We don't like to speculate too much on guys that might transfer, but it's hard not to look at that room and expect every single one of the scholarship guys back next year. Uh, that would, that would surprise me. And I don't yeah. know exactly who, uh, you know, obviously, Jerick Broussard, you wouldn't think would be going anywhere. He's he's the guy right now. Uh, but it, it's going to be tough to keep all those guys happy. I mean, none of those guys are seniors. So they're, they're all, you know, mm-hmm. have quite a bit of eligibility left. Uh, one guy that has gotten out there a couple times this year, Jay Lee Stacks. I'll, I get excited when I see him run out there because he looks like he's going to murder a couple people throughout his college career. Yeah, he's a big boy. It's been a while since we had somebody like that in the backfield for sure. <laughs> yeah. GE Delta 27 asked, who is your ideal opponent in week seven out of USC, Oregon, and Washington? Also, do you have any particular bowl preferences? It could be bowl prestige, potential matchup, or fan attendance related. Uh, USC, for sure. I mean, it it would be quite the storyline to get USC a team we've never beaten in a Pac-12 title game, which will never happen again. You know, obviously coming out of the same division, unless they, I guess they could scrap divisions eventually. Um and finding a way to get their first ever program win against USC to finish the season undefeated. That would be about as perfect a storyline as you could write. Yeah, and I, I'd almost be fine with the season just ending at that point because that's a, <laughs> a Mike the drop, drop type of a win right there if you could get yeah. that. In terms of bowls, it's it's tough this year. I mean, I'd have strong preferences in, in a regular year because mm-hmm. um, it's all going to – like all the interviews are going to be conducted virtually. So I don't know. I guess maybe I would go travel, but – it would be really strange. Yeah, I, I mean, I could really care less in terms of ball prestige this year. The, it, it's just kind of, uh, it's not the same. It's not the same. You know, I won't be going there if, if there's attendance allowed at the game. You know, I'm sure a lot of CU fans would choose to do it. it it's still not going to be the same experience as it normally would, right? I mean, there's going to be limitations as far as what's open around the stadium, what you can do how many people are going to be at the game. So to me, it's, you know, it, it would be awesome. And it's just a great story to be able to say that we played in a bowl game, obviously, but for my personal experience, I, I don't really care what the bowl is. I mean, if you're a PAC 12 team, you always have to aspire to play in the Rose bowl. That's the prestigious right. bowl. Um, in a regular year, a holiday bowl would be great. I know you yeah. love San Diego. It'd be nice to yeah. spend a week down there, right? Yeah, the Vegas Vegas is always awesome as well. Um, between yeah, those three, obviously, those are the ones that you want to be in for sure. I, I had fun at the Alamo Bowl, um, but I probably wouldn't do it again. 
Okay. You know what I mean, like, I think, I think I've San Antonio and me, we, we had a good thing going and, <laughs> you know, it was like a summer fling. I'm, I'm on to bigger and better things now. I guess the one that you probably are a little lukewarm on is the Sun Bowl. Just, I mean, El Paso is not going to be the, they, they really take care of folks down there. I've heard, you know, especially the media people that go cover it, but just in terms of uh, if you're going out there as a fan, trying to get great nightlife and you're not going to get it in El Paso. Yeah. I'm actually sadly going to El Paso next week. You are. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Or me and Amy are driving down to go check out two national parks that are in that area. Okay. Can't stay stay out of Juarez. Only only bad things happen now. Yeah, we won't won't be going to Juarez. Okay. Padillac thirteen asked. We all know Nate Lamon is going pro. Who else on this year's team has a legitimate shot at the NFL next year? So Tyler, there's a lot of guys that have, have a legit shot to play in the NFL in the future, but you're just there's no early round picks like you, you had with Lavisca Chanel this past April. Not in this upcoming draft, yeah. I would say even Nate is probably not an early round pick. Yeah, he's probably mid, mid at this point, mid round yeah, pick. Yeah, so he's probably like a fourth or fifth rounder. It, it's going to depend on what he runs. That's that's going to impact people for sure. Because, I mean, athleticism at that position at the next level is so huge. I mean, you talk about – I'm blanking on the kid's name right now. I'm sorry. But the Cal linebacker last year who was among the best in the country um, – if I recall, he was his seventh round or didn't even get drafted. You know, it's – I think Nate has – he transitions better to the NFL a little. But, yeah, I mean, he's going to have to prove he can be a three-down backer, which I think is going to be tougher for him. Carson, uh, we talked about already. Mustafa, his height's going to be an issue, but at least he does have long arms. He has big hands. He's obviously had, uh, you know, a lot of great film to put out there for NFL scouts. What would you think mm-hmm. right now if he goes sixth or seventh rounder? Yeah, I think he's a guy who's going to get drafted because he's a good depth piece for a team. Um, I think the NFL is so focused on stopping the run all the time. Like it's even though it's a passing league now, like you want to every single team wants to dominate the line of scrimmage. Like that's the focus of every single defensive coordinator. And he can give you that. Now, of course, at the next level, the guys are bigger, stronger, faster, longer. So it's going to be more difficult for him. I don't really see him being an every down player, but he's a guy that can fill into a rotation on a defense, I think. So, yeah, I would expect him to get drafted. Um, I would say that Will Sherman also has a pretty good chance to get drafted. Um, I don't know if it's going to be this year. He's undersized for a left tackle, but still a guy that, you know, he's put out tape for a couple of years now where he's been fairly dominant. I think the odds are pretty good that someone will take a chance on him too. One guy that gets really overshadowed is Terrence Lang. I think because Nate Landman's playing so well and Carson Wells, we, we kind of forget he's played really solid football and he's got the NFL body type, but I would imagine that would be more looking ahead to, yeah. to, to the future. I would, it, I hope so. I mean, cause I think he's a year away from really having a monster season for us. Um, I think he probably has the highest upside of any, player on our roster in terms of does he make an NFL impact kind of the same thing we talked about with Mustafa except he has prototypical NFL size and length as well you know he's not going to be a guy this is going to sound dumb because obviously Jadevian Clowney was super super dominant at the college level but I can see Terrence transitioning into more of what he's become in the NFL which is one of the fiercest run defenders of all time not a guy who gets 20 sacks a game like people really expected of him but um, you know, he has one of the best run defense grades in the history of the league. You know, I don't think Terrence will do that, but that's the style of play that he's going to have. He's going to be a, a really difficult run defender at the next level, in my opinion. 
Buff Predictor had two questions for us. Number one, he asked, Utah seems to present some matchup issues with Brant Keithy, that freakishly tweener tight end who burned us last season, and Britton Covey. And as always, they'll be physical in the trenches. Is this the most challenging offense CU's defense will face this season? Yeah, that Keithy, he torched CU last year. He had three touchdowns against the Buffs. So that, that's a matchup issue, but... Uh, statistically, Utah has not been very good offensively this yeah, year. Yeah, I would say I would say UCLA is the best offense we've played. Uh, if yeah. if I was going to be quite frank, yeah, I mean, you know, they have a new quarterback this year. Zach Moss being off the roster has been huge for them as well. I mean, they lost a lot of talent, so not super surprising, especially given COVID and they've only played whatever it is three games at this point that they have um, not exactly jailed yet. Uh, Britton Covey, I saw somewhere, is going to have seven years of eligibility in college. Okay. Over over like it over like a nine year span, which okay. is pretty insane. All right. His next question was, how does the performance of this team project for the 2021 season? I know much depends on on who returns among both players and coaches, and we'll miss the hell out of Nate Lamon. But you think if mostly everybody sticks, we should have a decent team next year. Offensively, for sure, you would think. Yeah, I mean, it's there's so much up in the air about who's going to take a look at the draft, which senior is going to choose to not come back. You know, like we think we think all these guys are going to come back, but who really knows, right? I mean, it's there's a lot up in the air. Like, is Isaiah Lewis going to come back? Is Darian Rakestraw going to come back? Like, the, the easy answer is, yeah, why would they not? But if they don't, it starts to make the defense look different in a hurry. Akil Jones, same scenario, right? Yeah, he's like, a father well, now. Who knows? Yeah. 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 Um, you know, so, you know, we talked about Carson Wells. Is he going to take a look at the NFL? Uh, Terrence Lang, is is his name going to start blowing up earlier than maybe we expected based on film review? Um, if every, Let's just put it this. I guess I'll make it the simplest way as possible. If everyone except Nate Landman comes back next year and, and everything else goes on the, on the side of the bus, this team will be very good next year. Yeah, I would agree with that. In terms of coaches uh... – you know, I think you'd like to see this staff uh, stick to, stick to, uh, together. I don't really – I haven't seen any major issues on this staff that, that Carl Drell's put together. Yeah. I mean, I guess the, the one universal question mark is secondary. <laughs> I mean, like, based on what we've seen, the teachings in terms of getting guys to turn around and stuff, that's been frustrating. That's gotten a little so. – it's gotten better, though, as the season's gone along. I mean – Sort of against San Diego State, it's they didn't throw, so of course you're not going to see <laughs> see much of it in that game. And uh, Arizona honestly didn't really have much of an opportunity to throw the ball either. So yeah, Mile High Crew asked, "There's been a few times this season where it seemed like Carl Durrell was being too conservative. Is that who he is as a coach, or do you think he will take chances the more he's comfortable with the team in the future?" Well, his MO coming from UCLA, that was one of the things people out there that covered him during his five-year tenure there said he was conservative there. So we've seen that play out again here at CU. So I would I would set your expectations that, yes, he's going to be a conservative coach. going. Yes, forward. unfortunately, he's definitely conservative. What I will say is this is not a Carl Durrell issue. This is a every football coach in the world issue. If you watch any NFL or college game around the country, 99% of these dudes are making the same highly questionable decisions in the same exact situations repeatedly. It's, I think it's something that as statistics have gotten more and more available and fan bases are getting smarter and smarter about what exactly they mean, it's becoming more and more obvious how dumb some of this stuff is. Um, 
hopefully at some point the switch is flipped and everybody starts realizing basic math, I guess is the only way to put it. But yeah, for now, I mean, he's, he's just like every other coach. So it's frustrating. Yes. But it's not like he's the only one out there acting like this. And Mel Tucker was pretty conservative last year. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There was uh, I saw a few people complaining on Saturday, you know, see had a fourth and one at their own 40 that I, I like that called punt when you're going against a freshman quarterback. Did, is that a situation yeah. where you have an issue with it? I didn't have any issues in this particular last game, really. I think, yes, part of it is who you're playing, right? I mean, when you, they did this in the San Diego State game as well, you, they basically played and dared San Diego State to score twice in a row. Now, if you watch that game, sure, it's frustrating and you could have put your foot on the gas, right? But at the same time, they weren't scoring twice in a row. <laughs> that, that, you know, you're daring them to do something you know they're not capable of. And Arizona was kind of the same situation, right? I mean, you can look across the aisle and say, okay, what are the odds that they actually go down there and take care of this play? And it was pretty low. So I get that aspect of it too. You don't, you know, it's one thing to be aggressive when if it backfires, there's a chance the other team can win the game right away that's a little scarier, right? I mean, you could try to put a team away up multiple possessions, or let's say you're an underdog, right? And you're trying to compete against a team who's clearly better than you. You have to be more aggressive in those situations because you really have nothing to lose. Um, I understand turtling up a little bit in situations where it could directly impact the effect of the game quickly. Mile High Crew and Buffalo Blood asked about the possibility of Nate Lamon winning the Butkus Awards. Uh, I don't know all the other finalists and what they're doing, but, you know, he's going to play a max of six games. I think that's going to be tough. For sure. And, you know, that's obviously not his fault, and it's unfortunate. Um, He's been as good as a lot of the linebackers in the country, I think. I I would also say, while the defense has been really good the last two weeks, statistically the defense overall is not going to fair as kindly to a few of the other finalists who are having big years on teams that are ranked in the top 10. Um, so that's going to be tough for him as well. I would expect him to be a finalist, but I would be surprised if he wins. Buffalo blood asked, what will it take for Colorado finally to get the respect that we have earned two, three, four or more winning seasons? Well, you gotta, you gotta uh, get two, two together at least. <laughs> I, I, would, I mean, yeah, I guess my, my initial response is honestly, I'm not sure we've earned it. You know, we're 4-0 in a year of COVID, which is awesome. It's unexpected, obviously. But, I mean, let's also be honest here. We haven't exactly beaten anyone that – we haven't beaten a team that's top 25 in the country. We're, we're ranked 21st in the country because we're undefeated and there aren't a lot of teams that are undefeated, right? Um, you know, it's, we haven't beaten another top 25 team in the country – uh, we've played four games. I'm not really sure that that's us earning national recognition long-term. I agree with you. I mean, you want recognition. you got to win multiple years in a row. That, it's really that simple. Look, they've played in one bowl game in the last 13 years, so yeah. you're just not going to get the respect. <laughs> yeah, that's not a race because we beat four middle Pac-12 teams. I mean, that's, that's just the reality. TKH11 asked about injury updates for the Utah game. We actually – have media availability with Carl Durrell later today. So hopefully we'll get some updates there. He mentioned earlier this week, Colby Purcell might be back in the mix, which going against this Utah front, that that would be a huge to get him back. Yeah. And you know, I'm not a offensive line guru. I'm sure Max will have more details on this, but 
I didn't really notice Josh Johns a ton. In that he, didn't, game. he didn't grade out very well. Yeah, I know. He, there was a couple of plays I saw for sure where he got worked over. But, I mean, overall, they ran for 400 and some yards. Like, yeah. somewhere along the way, we were doing something right. So, yeah. you know, a valiant effort from him. But, obviously, getting Colby and Kari back, too, I don't know how likely he's, that is. He's, he tested positive. So, that's yeah. that's up in the air at this point. But I would, I would be kind of surprised if he's out there on Friday or Saturday. Yeah, it just depends on when it was, right? Yeah. Because, yeah. We'll see. We got a couple recruiting questions. Uh, we're gonna have we're gonna blow that coverage out on Wednesday. We'll save some of the stuff for that. Uh, we've always done a video for each guy, and then like I said, we're gonna maybe do a Facebook Live where we get fans to interact with us. That'd be fun to do this year. Uh, real quick, basketball. We won't spend a ton of time on this, Tyler, because uh, you've got your your podcast, like you were talking about with Will and and Jake and Chase and Vinaya did their podcast. So uh, we'll, we'll just touch briefly though on what happened. Last night, as the Buffs fell to Tennessee, 56-47, Buffs turned the ball over 23 times, only hit 22% of their three-pointers. Uh, defensively, they played well, but just not enough offense on the road against a ranked team. Yeah, I mean, the game kind of played out in what you would more or less expect. Tennessee's really physical, really good defensively. Um, obviously, you don't want to turn the ball over 23 times. I thought McKinley didn't play great, wasn't very aggressive. Um, or really, really the entire roster, I thought, didn't play a great game, except for Jariah Horn was fantastic. Um, really happy to see him continuing to get better. Um, I thought not playing Jabari Walker in the second half was a huge mistake. Um, I hope someone asked Tad about that because I don't understand that one at all. Um, outside of that, yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's you can look at it two ways. It was frustrating because I thought Tennessee didn't play a great game. Missed a lot of easy opportunities. Um, looked a little sluggish in their first game of the year. You don't get a lot of opportunities like that at a team that I think will end up being in the top 10. So there was an opportunity for a huge resume bullet point there that didn't come through. But at the same time, I thought we played a bad game. And despite that, we played a top 10 team on the road in a really tight game. I mean, that was a two possession game with two minutes left. So I think if, if I'm Tad, I'm telling the team, we played horrible and still had a chance to win. We can beat anybody anywhere based on that result tonight. That's what I would say. And basketball is kind of strange in terms of trying to build a resume. You never want to lose a game, but going on the road playing the 12th ranked team in the country is still probably a better situation than had you played Colorado School of Mines and blown them out, right? Absolutely, 100%. And I, I would say it helps even more so because our non-conference schedule was so poor. I mean, there was no real, you know, eye-opening, oh, that's a good matchup non-conference part of our schedule this year. So even though we didn't get a win there, it's going to bump up the non-conference schedule considerably in the eyes of the committee, which is important. Up next, Northern Colorado in Boulder, and then they play Omaha as well. Got to give a shout-out to my guy, Roy Grigsby. I used to play hoops with him up at uh, Lakeshore in Superior. He'd bring uh, the McIntyre boys up there. We'd get some good runs. He's a scholarship player for them now. Dale Coons, is he – he's eligible and ready to roll, right, for them? I think so, yeah. I think he'll be ready. I assume, I assume they're going to try to give him a ton of touches. He should do great at that level with his athleticism. Sure, yeah. I mean, he's still going to have to score. That's going to be the tough thing. But, yes, in terms of athleticism, he should be way above his grade there. Um, I hope it turns around for him because he was a guy that I really liked coming into Colorado, and it just never really panned out. We have some breaking news on the podcast, although by the time people listen to this, it won't be breaking news. Utah game is moving to Saturday. Fox Sports announced Wednesday 
that CU will play Utah at the uh, big noon kickoff broadcast slot at 10.05 a.m. go. That's going to be grinded out, man. The people are going to be interesting watching that one. All right. Well, I got some work to do now that we've got uh, a change in the uh, the game here. But uh, Tyler uh, will coordinate and get those signing day videos. Again, excited. Next Wednesday, definitely uh, keep hitting refresh on buffstampede.com. It's always a, a fun day on the site. Yeah, sounds good. Talk to you later, man.